Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 7, The Looking Glass. In July of 2019, I proposed marriage to my best friend, Jenny Leininger, as our children swam at Overlook Pool. We'd become friends over the last two years, during which time both our spouses died. Before my proposal, we had never discussed any sort of romantic relationship, never dated. I had watched Jenny shepherding her family through the death of her husband and its aftermath. I admired her deeply for her quiet inner strength, her understated, underappreciated wisdom and competence, the diffident self-confidence that set her apart from any woman I'd ever known. We became texting friends when I offered to drive her husband to one of his final cancer treatments. After his death in 2017, I occasionally helped with maintenance and car issues when she would allow it, which wasn't often. We met for the first time at a church small group meeting. Her eyes haunt me from that day to this. Their fathomless depth and clarity became my portal, my looking glass. In her eyes, I would see myself who I am, and what I'd become, for the first time in decades. I had promised my wife, Rain, that I would raise our daughter in the church after she got sick. Although an atheist, I had no objection to attending church with my family. I liked Christians, and I wanted to support my wife and her faith, though my atheism did cause conflict. We began attending Harvest Bible Church as a family in summer of 2015. Following a series of hospital crises in fall of that year, we learned that Rain's illness was a form of dementia, not Parkinson's, as we had originally been told. This diagnosis, eventually, landed her first in the hospital and eventually into a nursing home. The progressive loss of someone to dementia is devastating under the best of circumstances. I had lost my father to Alzheimer's in 1995. Our marriage was difficult all through its 27 years, though we'd found an equilibrium. But the months leading up to her medically mandated nursing home care were complicated, exhausting, and traumatic. When she moved into the nursing home in October of 2015, I experienced many different emotions. Anger, grief, despair, but chiefly a yawning existential sense of freedom. I was, suddenly solely responsible for myself, our child, and all our affairs. But mostly, I was free of the pressing weight of her judgment and her sensitivities, which I had allowed to imprison me. The extra weight of responsibility was welcome, if daunting, but the sense of freedom from walking on eggshells was ineffable, frightening and exhilarating. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2013, and the following years had passed in a fog of physical and increasingly more pressing mental issues, doctor's appointments, medications, and procedures. I was working full-time as an auto mechanic and part-time as an online professor, having stopped full-time teaching at East Stroudsburg University around the time of the diagnosis. And I was remodeling our home in my free time, When October 2015 rolled around, I was, for the first time in my life, dangerously close to a breakdown. I held on by a tenuous thread. Rain's kids, especially her daughter, were of tremendous help, 
Although I never told anyone of my threatening dissolution, I slowly learned to face, moment by moment, those overwhelming, wave-like attacks. Breathing became an explicit and conscious practice for me. As this was the first defense I developed for fending off the darkness, the knot in the stomach, the swirling mental chaos. Slowly I learned through breathing and relaxation to hold the line, finding myself, strangely, stronger than I ever thought I could be. In many ways, the crisis relaxed for me when Rain was placed in the nursing home. There were plenty of difficulties remaining, but the worst of the uncertainties, my inability to care for her at home, the looming possibility of losing my job, resolved. The separation, though painful, was also rejuvenating, allowing for a new beginning for my thoughts and actions. I renewed acquaintance with my family that had languished for the entirety of my married life, feeling very much the prodigal returning to a welcome he did not deserve. Rain was a strong and powerful woman, a force of nature, and watching her decline while doing my best to make it livable for her was painful and draining. She was faithful to me, though, and as a believer in Christ, endured my atheism throughout our marriage, which was not an easy pill to swallow. Neither one of us was perfect in our relationship. Jordan Peterson helped me to see my failings with painful clarity. By November 2018, she entered a death spiral. I also learned that my employer, Sears Automotive, was shutting down our store. I would lose my wife and my job at nearly the same time. Again, this was a mixed bag. The closing of doors on the past was painful and sad. But I had imbibed enough Jordan Peterson by this time that I was able to look at endings also as beginnings. And I confess that I was hopeful, not devastated, as those endings approached. I wanted a new start. As it turned out, God had a great many more endings in store for me, a phoenix-like conflagration that would consume nearly every aspect of my life and from which I would emerge into a second Eden. I had been an atheist for 25 years now, and everyone who knew me at any depth knew that. I saw absolutely no path back to belief in God. It was as if I had thrown a one-way switch to atheism. There was no way to reverse it. I would have done so long ago had I found the way, as I remembered the simplicity and clarity of belief that Christianity had given me. I wanted that again, but I knew too much now. Science, philosophy, psychology, astrophysics, quantum theory, comparative religions, and all of this militated against Christian belief. The parishioners and leadership of our church were kind and caring. They welcomed us with open arms, and some reached out to convert me. I knew all their arguments, however, better than they did, and found them unconvincing, as I still do today. These Christians were, for me, quaint. But almost nothing they had to say was in any way helpful. I'd been a Christian for many years, so there were no words that would turn the tide. The actions, though of several in the church. Their attitudes towards me and my situation were deeply felt, appreciated, and ultimately instrumental in God's plan. Jenny and I saw one another and conversed occasionally in church, with great reserve, but mostly we texted. 
Having lost her husband to cancer, she understood the agony of waiting, enduring while holding on with white knuckles, fighting to maintain life, sanity, and family. She was grace itself, fidelity and strength, having raised and homeschooled seven children. I dubbed her Wonder Woman during this time, using the Five for Fighting song Superman to reinforce my admiration. Jenny listened, thought, interacted. She loved God like few I'd ever met, but she'd never played the game that most Christians did with me. She was just herself, allowing me the same courtesy. I learned to my surprise that she was somewhat unconventional and unsettled with the church. She thought for herself, independent and daring, though quiet and reserved, never ostentatious. We texted a few times each week, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, and sometimes not at all for long stretches. She didn't always like me or what I had to say, but we understood one another from the inside out, common experiences that eased the isolation. Rain died in February 2019. She is, at last, at peace in the loving arms of her Savior, immune to the disappointment and pain that racked her. I take tremendous joy in that. I have no doubt that God had me in her life all those years for His purposes, and I am who I am because of His providential care during those years. Those moments after with family and friends will remain etched in my mind for life. My only goal in those sad days was to ease the pain of her children. In that, I failed. The pain was too new, raw, and sharp, and I was too obtuse. Life moved forward. On the Sunday following my wife's death, I spontaneously hugged Jenny at church after Sunday school, our only physical contact. She was my best, my only friend. In March, our Sears Auto Shop closed its doors for good, and a series of sure things designed to return me to full-time teaching fell through. Everywhere I turned, confident of finding full-time employment, nothing materialized. I was still teaching online, but I needed more than part-time employment if I were to succeed at my plan. Peterson had convinced me to charge forward into life, to aim high, and I was determined to do so, to slay the dragons and redeem the world's suffering. This was my task. I required a partner. So I signed up for a dating site. I had two or three interactions and one date. Each woman, over weeks of looking, manifested one fatal fault. She wasn't Jenny. Jenny, though, was beyond my pursuit, and in the most fatalistic way. To consider her as a romantic interest was to violate what was, for me, a sacred obligation, respect for her faith. I knew Christian teaching on this topic. Christians may not marry non-Christians. So despite my growing unspoken recognition that she embodied what I wanted, needed, adored. Pursuing Jenny was off the table. At the same time, my concern for her well-being was growing. She was expressing a deep-seated sense of dislocation, listlessness, and lack of purpose. Her favorite metaphor was that of being stuck in jello, unable to move, change, or progress. Events and people were spiraling around her. She was feeling trapped, used and hurt by and in the midst of God's people. She trusted him, but was stuck waiting, suspended without resolution. 
My desire to help had been present from our first interaction, but she allowed little assistance from me, and I never sought to push, just to be a resource. I resolved to do what I could from a distance. This was the best I could hope for. I had fallen for Jenny beyond my capacity to understand, and our friendship was deep, powerful. She knew me already at a level that no one else did. She knew my story, my past commitment to Christ, and my falling away. She knew my life in the present, my thought processes and actions. She knew me better than my own family, better, it turns out, than I knew myself. We were struck from the same mold. I began to realize that, for me, she would always be more than a friend, but that I could never ask for that more. Until I did. I worried for her present, her future. We both had had difficult marriages, endured them, and remained faithful. I feared she might fall into another difficult situation. This consideration began to wear on me, and I rationalized to myself that I could at least save her from that fate, even if I couldn't give her a Christian mate. In other words, I considered doing what I knew to be wrong, to achieve my desired end. In doing so, I nearly tore my soul in two. I was undermining my very existence, reaching for what I valued so deeply that I was willing to destroy it in order to have it. Contradiction and Paradox Having yet again expressed her ongoing frustration with her life to me there by the pool, I said to Jenny, Well, then, you should marry me. She responded quickly with purpose and emotion. John, if you were a Christian, I would pack up the car and the kids tonight and marry you tomorrow. Admitting to myself that I loved and wanted Jenny was one thing. Holding out the forbidden fruit to her was tragedy embodied. Finding my feelings and vision reciprocated? This threw me into unimaginable, joyous chaos and overwhelming guilt. In the briefest of moments, I became responsible for the original sin of asking and for the well-being of the pearl of great price I had offered to buy with capital I had no right to spend. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be Christian.